Hello, and welcome to the Fuel Run Recover podcast, helping everyday runners fuel better, run smarter, and recover faster so you can reach your full performance potential. I'm your host, Stephanie Natchek, dietitian, fitness coach, and a fellow runner too. As the owner of Stephanie Natchek Performance Nutrition, I've spent the last 10 years helping runners learn to fuel their bodies, level up their running performance, and establish healthier relationships with food and exercise. If you're ready to reconnect with your love of running, then let's get started on today's episode. All right. So before we get started with today's episode, I wanted to invite you to check out a few great free resources that I created just for runners. To get them, all you have to do is click on the link in the show notes or visit www.stephanienachuk.com. If you visit my website, there's a little pop-up box that comes up and it'll prompt you to enter your email address and these guides will be sent right to your inbox. The first guide is my fueling guide for runners. So in this resource, you'll find my top fueling tips for runners, as well as some specific meal ideas for both your pre and post run fuel. If you've been struggling to understand what to eat when to support your running and just figuring out like what those meal ideas, like what those meals look like, what kind of foods you should be including before versus after you run, what the difference is between pre and post run fueling, then this guide is exactly what you need to get you started on the right path. The other guide that I created is my strength training guide for runners. So this guide includes both a PDF resource, has some tips, guidelines, and links to my YouTube series where I actually walk you through all of the exercises in the program. This is a great beginner strength training guide for runners who want an effective but efficient full body workout that helps support the key muscles and movements you need to run stronger and injury free. So once again, both of these guides are available together. I have them put together as a little bundle for you. You can just click on the link in the show notes or go over to www.stephanienatchek.com, enter your email address just the one time, and both of these free guides will get sent to your inbox right away. I hope you enjoy these resources and find them helpful in supporting you and your running. And now let's get into today's episode. So today I want to talk all about body composition and running. I am so excited to share this topic with you today because it's something that I'm really passionate about and is really at the core of my coaching philosophy and how I work and strategize with my clients. So today's conversation is going to be all about body composition specific to you as a runner. I'll be breaking down what you need to know about body composition. That includes understanding what exactly body composition is, what factors can influence our body composition, and then also what you can do as a runner to optimize your personal body composition, whatever that might be. So the first thing we're going to cover is what is body composition? So body composition um, at its simplest form is when we take your total weight, the total number on the scale, and we break it down into what that weight is made up of or what that weight is comprised of. What are the components that make up your total body weight? So we have within that, we've got body fat, and then we have something called fat-free mass. Sometimes you'll also hear this called lean mass, which is basically everything else in our bodies that is not body fat. This includes our bones, it includes all of our organs, it includes water, and then it also includes our muscle tissue or our muscle mass. So we basically break body composition down into everything that is body fat and then everything that is not body fat. 
And the reason that body composition matters and body composition matters uh, more than our weight is because at any given weight, we can have very different body compositions. Specifically, when we talk about how much muscle mass we have compared to how much body fat we might have or what our body fat percentage is. Some measures, some things like our organs or bone, those things are going to be fairly consistent. So they're not going to play as much of a role in our running performance. They're not going to change as a result of different diet or exercise strategies. But how much of our body weight is muscle versus body fat can matter a lot and can actually have a significant role to play or make a significant difference when it comes to our performance as well as our long-term health. Now, what I do want to say about this, though, is that we don't want to simply replace an obsession with our weight or sort of a preoccupation that we might have with the number on the scale. We don't want to replace that with an obsession or a preoccupation with our body fat percentage. So we don't want to just sort of swap one uh, measure that we're really focused on, one measure that we're really trying to get as low as possible. We don't want to just replace that with something different. And this is because there's no threshold that automatically guarantees good health and performance. So when it comes to our muscle mass, it comes to our body fat percentage, what our body composition is made of, there's no number that for every single person across all athletes, all different levels of experience, um, male, female, etc., there is no threshold of body fat percentage or no number that automatically guarantees that this is going to make you a better runner or maybe a, a worse runner. So we don't want to get too caught up in, in the numbers here and too caught up in what those numbers are for us because we can't necessarily predict good or bad outcomes or good or bad performance just from looking at body composition. But there is an argument to make here around shifting our focus away from weight and just trying to do things that get the number on the scale lower and instead focusing on strategies and focusing on doing um things with our training and with our nutrition that will improve or optimize what that body composition might be for us without a specific number or a specific target in mind. So now how do we measure or monitor our body composition? Because if it's something that is, you know, fairly important or something that we do want to keep an eye on, we want to have accurate or at least uh, mostly accurate ways of monitoring or measuring our progress or any changes that we might make in this area. And so how we monitor or measure body composition is actually not with the number on the scale. Um, it is a challenge and why so many runners stay focused on their weight because even though they've heard maybe that weight isn't a great measure of results or success is that we don't really have anything to replace it with. So we are checking our weight and kind of using our weight as a sort of proxy measurement for these changes or, or this success or these results um, because we really don't know what to do otherwise. We don't know what to replace that with. So the only true way to know our actual real body composition is unfortunately with an autopsy. <laughs> So there is no perfectly accurate, um, you know, tried and true way to know what our real body composition is while we are still a living, breathing human. But there are a number of other ways that we can get an approximate idea of our body composition. We can sort of get an idea of what it might be and track those changes over time. And so the key with these different methods of monitoring body composition or looking at things like body fat percentage 
is that we don't want to use different tools interchangeably because they measure our body composition differently. They use different methods to do it. And so we get slightly different results based on what method we use. So if we kind of jump from one method to another and try to use them uh, to look at progress, then we aren't going to get an accurate picture. So if you are going to be doing any body composition testing, I would recommend using the same type of body composition tests, the same type of measurement to make sure that your results are as accurate as possible, but also understanding and keeping in mind that all of these are still going to be an approximation. So what are some of the options? We have DEXA scans, we have bioelectrical impedance, we have air or water displacement units. These are all different things that we can use to give us an idea of what our body composition might be. However, all of these methods have pros and cons and some can be really costly or require you to travel to a place where this kind of testing is offered. So most people aren't going to have, you know, a water displacement um, machine or a bod pod for air displacement, you know, sitting in their basements, the way that we all have a bathroom scale at home to be able to look at changes in our weight. And so that's one of the challenges is really needing to shift um, our mindset away from thinking that weight and body composition are going to be the same thing. So rather than looking at uh, a number on the scale or even having a formal measurement to look at body composition that frequently, the primary way that I encourage my clients to sort of track their progress, quote unquote, track their progress is with actual performance markers. So rather than even looking at weight, looking at numbers, instead we want to be focusing on, are we getting stronger? Are we lifting more during our strength workouts? Are we able to generate more speed or power during our workouts? Then if in addition to that, we want to look at physical changes, we'd be looking at things like measurements, you know, whether it's waist circumference, how our clothes are fitting to see where these changes in body composition might be taking place. And again, how your body changes in response to this approach can be totally different than what others might see or experience. So it's really important here to be performance focused rather than striving for a specific body shape or size, because even if we all do the exact same things with our training or our nutrition, we are all going to still look different and ultimately get different results. And so that brings us to our next question. What factors influence body composition? What are the things that we do in our day-to-day, -day, maybe the things that we have control over or don't have control over, that is going to play a role in what our body composition is? So some of these factors are modifiable. Some of these factors are things that we can uh, do things about, we can change, we can control at least to some degree, while others have absolutely, we have absolutely no control over some others. So there are other things like our genetics, for example, that there's nothing we can do about that. But even for the factors we can't change or can't control, we can still learn how to work with our bodies to help build and maintain muscle, while optimizing our personal best body fat percentage. So even though there are things that may make it more challenging for some people versus others, we can still kind of work around those, learn to work with those things to get our best body composition. So for things that we can control, of course, we have physical activity, right? If we are, how much training we're doing, how much strength training we're doing, um, volume, intensity, all of that, as well as our nutrition habits. So absolutely what we eat, when we eat, how much we eat, all can play a role and contribute to changes in body composition, either changes we want or maybe changes that we don't want. 
And then the other thing that a lot of people don't think about or don't realize is that hydration can also play a role in our body composition, specifically our body composition testing results. So hydration can really play a big role uh, with some of these methods of body composition testing like bioelectrical impedance, where how hydrated we are, how hydrated our muscles are, is going to give us different results um, compared to if we did that same testing when we were dehydrated. So that's something to keep in mind if you are getting testing done, looking at what are the recommendations around hydration going into getting that test done so that you can get the most accurate results possible. And then we have some non-modifiable factors. And so these are things that, like I said, just because we can't control them, just because we can't change the factor in itself, doesn't mean that we can't still do things or adapt our strategy to work with these things. The first one is genetics. And some people just have certain variations of genetic markers that cause them to respond differently or get different results from nutrition or training strategies. So some people just have an easier time building muscle, building strength. Other people have an easier time losing body fat in response to different types of training or in response to different types of nutrition strategies. The other thing that can play a role is our age. We know that building and maintaining muscle mass does get harder with age. And this is true for both male and female athletes. So as we get older, we do need to adapt to that reality and shift our approach compared to what we might've been able to do a few decades ago while still getting great results. That might mean consuming a higher protein diet than we did when we were younger. That may mean paying more attention to our nutrition, being more intentional with our nutrition. That also may be spending more time and energy on strength training compared to what we did when we were a younger runner. So runners who are getting a little bit older will benefit more from doing more strength training, putting more intention and time into their strength training because it just gets more difficult to build and maintain muscle over time. So when we're looking at body composition and weight, how are they different? And I want to really distinguish between these two things and help you understand the difference between these two things, because this is where a lot of people uh, stay really stuck and stay really frustrated because they're trying to uh, use weight and body composition interchangeably, and they are really not getting the best results because they're thinking that body composition improvements should always come with weight loss or if we're losing weight, that that automatically means that we're getting improvements in our body composition. That's not necessarily the case. These are two different things. So I want you to imagine this scenario with me. Your next marathon is about six months away. Over the last few years, you've gained some weight and now you're ready to get back into more running and lose some weight to try and get back to where you were before. So you are trying to lose some weight that you've gained over the last few years. You've got six months until your next marathon. You've done some reading and researching and you feel pretty informed in terms of how to do this the right way. So you know that you only need to be in a very small calorie deficit to see weight loss. You know you need to do your strength training. You know you need to focus on regular balanced meals. You feel really, really well equipped to do this, um, to train for your marathon, lose some weight and feel really good in the process without feeling like you're starving yourself. So you get started. You start running a little bit more, you start adding in your strength training, and you're consistently eating three balanced meals a day, right? You're doing all the right things. So you should be losing weight, right? But weeks go by, you keep getting on the scale, nothing is changing. 
you're getting really frustrated, you're getting really confused, and after a month goes by and the scale doesn't move at all, you decide that you absolutely must be doing something wrong because you have not lost any weight. So you decide, you know what? I must just not be putting in enough effort. I must have to kind of make a change here, really double down on my efforts. So you go all in. You start skipping breakfast, you start cutting some carbs, and you also start doing way more running to try to get into a bigger calorie deficit to make the scale move. So you figure that, you know what, if I wasn't getting anywhere with that small calorie deficit I had before, you know, there must be something wrong with me. I must need a bigger calorie deficit in order to get my weight down. So you really start getting sucked into the eat less and move more for weight loss mindset. I have done a whole podcast dedicated specifically to the eat less, move more mindset and why it's keeping you stuck. So if you haven't checked out that episode, I would highly recommend you listen to it because in that episode, I get into some of the specific pitfalls that come along with getting sucked down that rabbit hole of just thinking that it's all about eating less and moving more. So you are eating less and moving more. You are, um, you know, trying to just get the number on the scale down. You're running as much as you can, maybe doing a lot of fasted training. You're cutting out a lot of those carbohydrate foods because maybe you heard that that was good for weight loss and you are stuck. So what went wrong in this scenario? What happened? And the problem was not with what you were doing, it was not necessarily with the action steps that you were taking initially. The problem is that you were looking at the wrong indicator of success. You were looking at the wrong indicator of results. You were looking for feedback on your progress and you were looking for information about how you were doing in the completely wrong place. You were getting on the scale, expecting there to be weight loss, expecting the scale to go down, but you were fueling your body really well and you were strength training at the same time. So the expectation is that you were building muscle along the way. So that means that you could have been building muscle and losing body fat while you were doing all of these great things, but the weight that you lost, the body fat that you lost could have been entirely masked by the muscle that you built. And so when you get on the scale, you see no change and you think that nothing's happening. You must be doing something wrong, but really you are getting what I, you know, what most of us would consider to be very good results because you're building muscle and maybe losing some body fat at the same time. In fact, for some people, their rate of building muscle might be the same or even faster than their rate of fat loss. So for some people, when you're doing all of these great things, the scale might even go up sometimes. By weight, muscle tissue is about 20% more dense than body fat, meaning it takes up less space. And so this is why we can see differences in how our body might look, how much muscle tone we might be able to see, how our clothing might fit us without seeing any changes at all reflected on the scale. And if we understand what's happening behind the scenes, then we can really come to understand that the actual number on the scale just isn't that important. It's not giving us any valuable information. And I've had so many clients over the years express these same concerns to me over the fact that they're not seeing their weight drop. They're not seeing the weight go down the way that they hoped it would. They're not seeing the weight go down maybe at all. But sure enough, when we look at other parameters, other things like strength, performance, workout quality, or things like which belt hole they need to use to keep their pants up, we see a totally different story. 
And so body composition really tells us a totally different tale. It really shows us something different than what our weight does. And this is why they're entirely different things. And we want to make sure that when we are incorporating these good strategies to fuel ourselves well and do our strength training and, you know, really focus on performance. We're not letting a preoccupation with weight and and letting an obsession with the number on the scale really drag us down and hold us back. What we also want to recognize here is that body composition changes take time. A 1% change in body fat percentage in a month is actually considered pretty good. And so this requires us to really trust the process and set goals for ourselves with our running that take the focus away from just weight and body composition, because it can be really hard to stay motivated over time when the changes are slow and small. And because we don't want our body composition to become a new preoccupation, that just replaces our obsession with weight. We don't want to be getting things like these body fat measurements, uh, body composition done like every other week. You know, the tools that we have just aren't accurate enough to give us a reliable picture on that microscopic scale. And so, you know, using a body composition measurement, a body composition measurement tool, um, week after week to kind of track these very small changes. Again, it just doesn't really lead us down a great healthy path. We know that it takes months, years to reach our running goals and that throughout our running career, there's going to be ups and downs and ebbs and flows with our fitness and performance. And it isn't just this sort of linear thing that continues to improve totally uninhibited for our whole lives, right? We don't just get better, 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 better all the time. We can't continuously build fitness in that way. And we really want to give ourselves a lot of space and a lot of grace to apply those same principles and patience to changing our body composition as well. Runners who are very focused on just building fitness, building fitness, building fitness, kind of all the time, nonstop, always trying to do more volume, more intensity, they're setting themselves up for a lot of injuries. They're setting themselves up for burnout. They're setting themselves up for overtraining. And the same can happen with runners who are really focused on, again, getting the number on the scale down or chasing this sort of ideal body composition picture that they have in their heads. You know, chasing leanness and the lowest body fat percentage at all costs can also lead us to injuries, to burnout, to not being able to sustain the habits that we're trying to create. So we want to understand that running performance as well as body composition is going to change a little bit in different phases of our lives. There's going to be ebbs and flows and ups and downs. And so we want to just have patience with our goals and understand that it's going to take some time to get there, especially if it took us some time to maybe um, get to where we are right now. And so then the next question that I want to address is, is there anything that our weight can tell us? Is there any use at all for our weight? You know, should we bother to check our weight at all? Should we ever be looking at it? Is there ever a time or place for weight? And yeah, there can be. Um, In particular, there is one thing that I do like to have weight information for um, on on a short-term scale, and that is our hydration status. So our body fat percentage, our muscle mass, you know, our body composition doesn't change very quickly and it absolutely does not change day to day. So if you are currently weighing yourself on a daily basis or even you're weighing yourself more than once a day, there is absolutely no use for that. Please stop doing it. 
unless you are specifically using it to look at your hydration. So the only time that more frequent weighing is helpful is to specifically assess someone's fluid loss during a workout. So specifically, if we want to know how much sweat a runner has lost during a workout, how much uh, hydration replacement they need, we can weigh them before and after a training session. The difference between these two numbers is essentially how much sweat that person lost during a workout. So this helps us to understand that runner's specific hydration needs and helps us to understand how much we should be drinking during a workout to prevent dehydration. That's the only thing that it can tell us. Weighing ourselves before or after a training session, a long run, a hard workout, whatever it might be, is not going to tell us anything about how many calories we've burned. It's not going to tell us anything about how much fat we might've lost during that workout, how much fat we burned during a workout. Those types of uh, weigh-ins, those types of weight checks at that very kind of close together scale, like within a couple of hours of each other, only is telling us about our hydration. And so there's definitely a time and a place for it. It is uh, useful for monitoring hydration. And so while I don't encourage a lot of weighing to look for body composition changes or results, that can tell us some information about our sweat rate and our fluid needs. So next I wanna get a little bit deeper into our genetics. I've mentioned a couple of times here on the podcast, um, genetics and how they can impact our body composition the results we see when we implement different nutrition or training strategies, and how we can take a whole bunch of people, have them do the same thing, and they're gonna get different results. We're all going to look different and perform differently, even if we all incorporate the exact same nutrition and training strategies. So I want you to imagine that we have a random sample of 100 people. So we've got 100 people, they are all just randomly selected, and we are taking all of these 100 people and we're putting them on the exact same training plan. So all of these 100 people are gonna do the exact same workouts on the exact same days. Same volume, same intensity, everything. Now the reality is some of these people are gonna lose more body fat more quickly just from the increase in their physical activity. They happen to have specific genetic variants that cause their bodies to lose more body fat in response to exercise. When it comes to our eating, some people have genetic variants that contribute to an enhanced fat loss response when we follow different dietary patterns or different dietary strategies. Now, of course, if we had these same hundred people and we got them all to follow the exact same diet, we would see very different results due to these differences in genetics. And so of course, while some people have these enhanced responses, other people don't and they aren't gonna experience the same reduction in body fat when they either increase their training volume or follow these same dietary strategies. And you probably see this in your real life. You can probably sort of see this in the people around you where you maybe have followed the same diet as other people and gotten totally different results because of it. You see people online all the time, you know, on our social media feeds, different influencers and stuff like that who are sharing about what they do to lose weight or, or maintain a certain physique. And we can see that when other people try to emulate that, other people try to do that, they don't get the same results as those individuals. And so, you know, all of us have different genetics, which really can tell us what our roadmap will be for success, not only when it comes to reductions in body fat percentage and how we, how we lose body fat, but also when it comes to building muscle. 
So in addition to our genetics influencing how we lose body fat, they can also play a role in our muscle building capacity. Meaning that some people have a significant advantage when it comes to how easily they build strength compared to others. So I want you to imagine again a scenario where we have two runners, maybe they're friends and they like to, you know, do similar things. They discuss and they share a lot of training tips. They share a lot of what they're doing with their nutrition. You know, they're both wanting to improve their body composition and their performance. And so they kind of like to talk about what they're doing and and they sort of uh, do a lot of things together. So perhaps we have runner number one. Runner number one has the genetic variations that do not contribute to an enhanced fat loss response from exercise, but they do have a significant advantage when it comes to building strength. Now runner two does not build strength as easily, but they do see an enhanced fat loss response from cardiovascular exercise. So these two runners could do the exact same things. Train the same day, day after day. Maybe they're doing all their training together. Day after day, week after week, they are doing the same workouts together every single day. But runner one is probably going to be really frustrated that every time they get on the scale, it's not really moving. Meanwhile, runner two might be kind of losing weight pretty easily. You know, one or two might be seeing the scale go down consistently, but they're really frustrated because runner one is lifting way more weight at the gym than they are. And they're just not able to lift the same weight that the other runner is. And so these two runners have totally different genetics. They have totally different responses to different types of training. And despite training together, following the exact same plan and strategy, they're getting different results. And of course they're looking to each other and they're frustrated by what they don't have. And so I hope that this example really highlights for you why you will so often hear me say that what works for other people won't necessarily work for you and really highlight that we each need our own personalized strategy and approach. So your next question might be, can you actually get these genes tested, right? Can you find out what versions of these markers you actually have so you can understand your ideal nutrition and training strategies and learn how to work with your body versus against it? Yes, you absolutely can. So I think that this personalized approach is so beneficial, not only with understanding the action steps that we can take to get the results we want, but also to really help us understand why things that we've tried in the past maybe haven't worked. And so I actually use this genetic testing with all of my one-on-one client programs. And so if this is something that you're interested in learning more about, and you want to see how this approach to personalized nutrition and training can work for you, then the link to my website and program details will all be in the show notes for this episode. So you can learn more about your genes, your genetic potential, and how to work with it to get the best possible results. So to wrap up for today, I want to share a few key action steps that you can take to help you get started on your journey to better body composition. Now, again, this is not a recipe for weight loss. This is not all about getting the number on the scale down. Instead, these are the action steps that you can take if you really wanna focus on building more muscle, maintaining more muscle, getting better performance, and seeing um, what your best body composition looks like, figuring out what your best body fat percentage might be that keeps you healthy, gives you ideal Uh, performance, ideal hormone levels, helps to regulate all of those things that our body needs to stay healthy without trying to go so low that we're putting our health and our performance at risk. 
So the first thing that you can do is get out of the eat less, move more mindset for weight loss. So rather than trying to eat as little as possible while you're training as much as you possibly can, I would love for you to shift your focus to fueling to meet your training needs and fueling for recovery so that you can help your body build muscle and improve your performance day after day, week after week, month after month. You can get where you want to go with your running. And the other thing, the other really, really important thing that I would love for you to do is to stop focusing on the scale. Just stop. Instead, you want to look at other indicators of success, like your actual performance, your strength, your running, your energy levels, how you feel day to day, how you make it through the rest of the day. Uh, Not just the training that we have to do, but you know, our work lives, our family lives, our school lives, everything else. If you do want to have a physical marker, if you do want to look for those physical markers of change, then we can do that by looking at things like how our clothes are fitting or our waist circumference can also tell us information about shifts in body composition. And then the third thing is that we don't want to forget our strength training. If we want to improve our body composition, running on its own is not enough to build muscle, especially as we get older. And so strength training two to three times per week consistently is really key. And please don't be afraid to lift heavy as you do it. So we really want to challenge our muscles, challenge our bodies to get stronger. And the best way to do that is to incorporate more strength movements, but also focus on lifting heavy. So those are the three things that we can do, our three action steps for improving body composition so that we can reach our best running potential and really get away from this obsession with the scale. So I hope that you enjoyed today's episode and got some valuable new insights into how you can shift your focus to achieve amazing things with your running. If you need help, a personalized strategy or with ongoing motivation and accountability on the implementation of your nutrition and training plan, I would love to help you and I would love to work with you. You can visit my website, that's www.stephanienatchek.com to learn more about both my one-on-one and group program. And you can connect with me if you have any questions. If you like what you heard on today's episode and want even more nutrition, training, and mindset tips specifically for runners, I would also love to connect with you over on Instagram where you can find me at Steph, the runner's dietitian. And of course, I would also love it if you followed and shared this podcast episode or the Fuel Run Recover podcast as a whole with the runners in your life. Thank you so much for listening and I can't wait to see you in our next episode. The information on this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not to be used or relied upon for the diagnosis or treatment of any health condition. This information does not create a client-practitioner relationship and should not be used as a substitute for professional medical advice.